This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And good morning, and this is indeed Brooke Spector, and we are with you today on Friday for our Deep Dive. And today we're, we're pleased to have a, an interview with, uh, Dr. Deborah Lipstadt visiting from the United States to South Africa. She is the American State Department's special envoy, uh, dealing with anti-Semitism and other forms of extremism. And, uh, she has been in South Africa for a few days of meetings with government officials and NGOs and others. And she has been in office since, uh, well, about six months. And she is perhaps best known, uh, besides being a highly regarded scholar on Holocaust and genocide issues. Uh, she was taken to court in Britain by David Irving because she had written about him saying he was a 100% Holocaust denier. He sued for defamation of character and in a highly public and well-covered legal suit, she won. And he could not claim defamation. And that helped seal her reputation. I found her a particularly no-nonsense person to talk with, but very engaging. And we recorded this interview just a little while ago at the Johannesburg Holocaust and Genocide Center in suburban Johannesburg. This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. We're speaking with Deborah Lipstadt, who is an American historian, author of a variety of books, Denying the Holocaust, History on Trial, My Day in Court with a Holocaust Denier, The Eichmann Trial, and Anti-Semitism Here and Now. But she's in South Africa in the context of being the United States government's special envoy for monitoring and combating anti-Semitism. And this is a job she signed on for six months ago, basically. And she's also concurrently, I think you still have a, uh, an academic appointment at Emory University? Yes, I'm on leave for the t- duration of my time at the State Department. Okay, Emory's a nice school. It's a good school. And let me start basically by, by asking, what exactly does a special envoy to combat anti-Semitism do? Well, it, each person who's held the office, and I've had five, I think, predecessors, has defined it differently depending on the circumstances of the time. But given that I'm in the State Department, by law, my remit, my uh, uh, work is outside the United mm-hmm. States, which, of course, is tricky at times because in this day and age, it's harder and harder to differentiate between domestic and international. But my activities concern uh, external foreign anti-Semitism. And essentially what it calls for is going, well, it's got three, a a number of different prongs, so to speak. One, of course, is putting out fires in places where there might be an anti-Semitic attack, going to a country and saying, this is something that concerns us, what what is happening here. Or if there has been an anti-Semitic attack, going to the country, meeting certainly with government officials, that's of primary importance. Um, when I visit a country, meeting possibly with the Jewish community, with NGOs, with local government officials, 
uh, to to ask, you know, have you have you addressed the situation to put out the embers to make sure the embers are out so there won't be a, re- a conflagration once again? Now, let me add something that I think is very important. Um, I don't do this job uh, because we've solved the problem. America has not solved the problem. That's my third question. Now, okay. Well, I'm anticipating. Please go right ahead. Um, uh, America has not solved the problem. In fact, sadly, since I entered office, the situation in the United States has gotten considerably worse. I recently uh, said to a friend, I said, I don't know if I'm doing a good job given what's happening. And she put a wonderful spin on it. She said, Deborah, if you weren't in the position, it would only be worse. So I go with that explanation. But um, but I don't, the secretary, my boss, the person whom I directly uh, report, Secretary Tony Blinken, said about my job when I first came into office, we don't have positions such as the one occupied by Deborah Lipset, by Ambassador Lipset, because we are perfect, because we haven't figured out. In fact, we haven't figured it out, and we face this problem. But we have these positions to telegraph to the to the world the message that uh, we know we have a problem. We think it is a serious issue, and we want we want you to know that we think you should address it as well if you have it in your if you're facing the problem in your country. Uh, he has just appointed a special representative on racial issues. America certainly hasn't solved its race its racism and its race. Uh, issues and race problems. Uh, but nonetheless, her remit is to go and make sure that American foreign policy is, is addressing racial injustice throughout the world. One of the things that I run into, uh, fairly frequently, uh, in this country and in historically in other places has been, uh, a kind of a, a conjunction, if you will, of a variety of things that you might not see as connected, but which a lot of people in in many places see as bound together. And I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. And that's the the question of conflating anti issue of anti-Semitism with anti-Zionism, with anti-Israel, and then by definition, then pro-Palestinian issues. How do you untangle these threads? I think first of all, to say up front, that's not where I put my focus. I have colleagues in the State Department, dozens if not hundreds, who deal with this issue in one way or another. That's their remit. But when it intersects with anti-Semitism, of course, it, it, it is something about which I'm concerned. Uh, first and foremost, to lay the groundwork, which I think it, you, you recognize, and I'm sure many of your listeners recognize, criticism of Israeli policies is not anti-Semitism. Someone can criticize Israeli policy. Israelis criticize Israeli all, all, the, time. all the time. It's, as I like to say, it's the national sport of Israel, even before football. So that's, we're not talking about criticism of Israeli policies. Uh, but I think when there are people who are anti-Semites, but who recognize, well, if I talk badly about Jews, it will not be accepted, but I can focus my uh, venom about Jews on on Israel, and not just criticizing um, Israeli policy, but the very notion of existence of a Jewish state, 
or there are some people who in their criticism of Israeli policy, whether they're anti-Semites or not, and I just, I generally rarely accuse someone of being an anti-Semite because I don't know what's in their heart, but I know what they're engaging in might well be anti-Semitic. Uh, there are some people who in their criticisms of Israel uh, and maybe legitimate criticisms, will rely on anti-Semitic motifs, anti-Semitic tropes, anti-Semitic stereotypes. Um, and then you're beginning to see a crossing of the lines. There are some people who focus, whose only concern, um, and I'm talking less about individuals, but I don't know, the the HRC, the Human Rights uh, Council in, in Geneva, the UN Human Rights Council. Um, there's a certain myopic focus on problems in Israel, which might be legitimate problems, uh, but no focus on, on human rights problems, sometimes even more severe human rights problems in other places. At that point, you've got to ask, why? Where is this coming from? Why you know, uh, 90%, I'm pulling a number, maybe it's a Well, it's a large, large number, shall we say. Very large number, well more than half uh, of your activities is criticism of Israel and not criticism of other genocides, of genocides that are taking place, whether it's uh, the Uyghurs or, or wherever, or things in Syria, North Korea, et cetera. Not just bad, not just bad talk. No, 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 not just bad talk, not just bad talk. And then you have to ask, well, why this unidimensional focus? Where is it coming from? Well, that's a question. I mean, it's a, it's, well, I try to answer it right, to people's Right, right. Well. I think sometimes it's coming, uh, uh, sometimes, not always, but sometimes it's coming with someone who is, has an obsession with Israel's wrongs, which if you unpack it, and I'm not saying everyone by a long shot, but if you unpack it, you will find there a sort of uh, uh, anti-Semitic uh, motivation. I mean, I do a fair amount of uh, talking in conferences on foreign affairs, um, and occasionally I, I get invited to organizations uh, that, that do events uh, that are, Middle East related and they're organized by people who know full well that I was a foreign service mm-hmm. officer for a long time, but they, they bring me in because they figure they will get a, a reasonably straightforward reading of America and American policy without a, uh, a, a, a full on defense of a hundred percent of everything mm-hmm. that's ever happened. Um, by virtue of being out of the government for, mm-hmm. for some years and having taught policy and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I find it exceedingly difficult to convince people in audiences like that to keep the threads separate because there's an inevitable bleed over to, to use a really bad metaphor now between the one column and the next and the next. And inevitably the conversation ends up along the lines of, well, you you Americans are always protective of Israel, which is why you have a special interest in decrying and defending against anti-Semitism. I think that's a ludicrous kind of uh, 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 argument. Um, Israel, America does take, does feel, have a special relationship with Israel, defined first by Senator, by President Kennedy in, the, in 1961 in a meeting with Golda Meir, uh, then Prime Minister, and, uh, I'm sorry, then uh, Foreign Minister, yeah, sure. uh, Foreign Minister, um, 
and uh but certainly there's this criticism this frequent criticism from uh, uh american officials of all administrations virtually all administrations of actions that take place in israel when when the american government feels that they're wrong but to conflate uh, America's a special relationship with Israel, which is why we have a, a position on anti-Semitism, is anti-Semitism distortion, if not denial. It's to say it's not a real problem. It's to say that uh, there was an attack on the synagogue in Halle three years ago, and two people were killed. It happened not to be people in the synagogue on Yom Kippur, people outside. It's to say there weren't attacks on Hipper Kasher. To say that there weren't attacks in Toulouse on a Jewish school. It's to say there haven't been a, uh, a series, a litany of anti-Semitic attacks, anti-Semitic rhetoric. It's almost insulting. Well, it may be, but it, I find it hard to, to chivvy people from the one position to a slightly different Well, I would, I would wonder why anyone, uh, why a thoughtful, discerning person would engage in such um, ludicrous kind of argument. Because what it's saying is that anti-Semitism is not a problem. It's saying that uh, anti-Semitism is not something serious. It's saying that it's not a prejudice like other prejudices that has resulted in the lifetime of people still, still alive um, in uh, a genocide and mass killings in which uh, one out of every three Jews in the face of the earth was murdered and that there's been a legacy ever since. I mean, part of the, part of the challenge is that in, in the case of a particular institution I'm, I'm talking about, they have a very specific pro-Palestinian position and they make no bones about it. And they leap from that to this is simply another manifestation of America's special defense of a special country, regardless of what it does, thereby binding uh, domestic issues with an American foreign policy agenda. I find it, uh, you know, you can be, whatever pro-Palestinian means, you can feel that Israel uh, has misguided policies, that the treatment of the Palestinians is wrong, that this is a, a powder keg waiting to explode, uh, all things which many Israelis mm-hmm. uh, talking with them. I've talked with a number okay. of people who have precisely that okay. view. Okay, but to then say, that ipso facto anti-Semitism, concern about anti-Semitism is only a shield for pro-Palestinians is to engage in the same kind of prejudicial stereotyping that they, these people claim to be fighting mm-hmm. and le- renders them to me um, very uh, weak interlocutors or defendants of that, that position. And it's a serious position. To, to, to argue on, uh, you know, that there are problems and that there are serious issues that need to be resolved. I, I don't discount that at all. But to uh, dismiss the position I held, and it's been held by five people before me, and the issue which I'm addressing as simply a foil for that is to engage, to engage in a form of anti-Semitism. <laughs> This is The Deep Dive with Brooke Spector.
We're speaking with Deborah Lipstadt, a uh, special envoy from the United States, State Department on anti-Semitism. She's visiting South Africa and I believe Morocco. Am I right? Correct. And then back home. And then back home. Why those two, why these two countries? Well, this is part, uh, this is, those are my ninth and tenth countries in okay. six months. I started my, uh, travel in Saudi Arabia. Okay, that would have been an interesting moment. It was a, it was a very interesting moment. Um, because, uh, and the Saudis knew exactly why I was coming. Saudi Arabia has been in decades past one of the main exporters uh, anti-Semitism in the, in the form that it funded imams throughout Western Europe, throughout North America, South America, many of whom preached anti-Semitism, uh, severe anti-Semitism. Mm. The textbooks are interesting. Too. And the text, well, the textbooks, they have done a very good job. Change? Very much so. And there, in fact, is an Israeli, uh, NGO, uh, impact SE, I believe it is, uh, which gives the Saudis great credit on addressing okay. it. Not, they are, they haven't solved the problem, but addressing it. Have they changed their maps yet? Uh, that I can't speak to, but, um, but the Saudis, um, have begun to address this issue. I'm not suggesting, by the way, lest any of your listeners go in this direction, which would be natural, that the Saudis have solved their human rights issues, that all is well and perfect and, uh. I don't think anybody would accuse you of saying I, that. I, I don't believe that. However, I do believe, I do believe very much that I will, and not I believe, but I, I, my, my, uh, mantra is I will go and talk to anyone, government, NGO, et cetera, who is serious about addressing the issue of anti-Semitism. Let's turn the conversation a little bit back to the United States itself, although obviously your, your job doesn't directly impinge on domestic affairs. Mm-hmm. You have to take cognizance of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there has been, as you alluded to, a growing spate of what can only be described as uh, deliberate anti-Semitic attacks Absolutely. against various kinds of facilities from uh, community centers to, to uh, religious institutions to synagogues. And why is this growing in America? And in and, and what way is this becoming, if not normal, at least for some people, a norm? It, that's a very good way of putting it. It's the normalization of this hatred, which is of such great concern. I would argue that there, not just this concerns, and this explains what's going on, not just in America, but in other places as well. There is a growth of populism, of the sense that I'm right, you're wrong, of uh, separatism, of supremacy, of militiaism, if I can coin a word, I don't that's a word, but it will be eventually. Yes, I'm sure. Uh, that has, um, embedded in it deep-seated anti-Semitism. This is domestically in the U.S. And, 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 and in the world, and in many places. Yeah. The other. I mean, I have in Pittsburgh who uh, lived down the street from the- From Tree of Life, yeah. right. Um, and that was a man who believed that Jews were helping sneak refugees into this country because he saw a sign outside the Tree of Life Synagogue saying, uh, it's this highest HIAS, the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society Shabbat, refugee Shabbat. So that's when he went to shoot it up, shoot up the, the place. It's the same thing that motivated the man in Christ Church who went to, you know, kill, uh, not the highest weekend, but the same kind of hatred who shot up two mosques, uh, and many other mass shooters. 
years. The man who uh, killed someone and wounded a number of people in the synagogue in San Diego and, and other events. So I think there's been an extremism, uh, uh, a radicalization of um, positions of politics. Why is that? Well, it was there. Be, it was, I think, it was there before. I think it grew markedly amongst many people uh, during the Obama presidency, who, and this has been shown in certain studies, research, etc., who were uh, nonplussed by having a, a black man be president. And thought, well, if he's president, there must be something wrong. People who feel, and this is uh, common throughout the world, certain groups of people who feel displaced either because of economic development, developments, uh, their industry has gone under or it's changed. And they look for someone to blame. They look for someone to hold responsible. And anti-Semitism has the dubious distinction of being the oldest, most consistent hatred in the world. Um, not just the oldest, but most consistent. So if they were to say, oh, this is all the fault of the bicycle riders or the people with blonde hair or, or whatever, people would look at them like they're crazy. But to say this is the fault of a people who, again, relying on that anti-Semitic, that age-old, consistent anti-Semitic stereotype, people who are inherently evil, people who uh, work the system for their own good at the expense of others. Uh, Henry Fordism all over. Well, Henry Ford, well, and he was getting it from Goebbels, and Goebbels was getting it from, you know, lots of people before him. And so the, it the, got, the Russian Secret Service. Yeah, right, and his protocols. No one had an extent, a, a exclusive hold on anti-Semitism. But my point is that it's so old and so consistent and so baked into the roots of the weeds that sprout anti-Semitism that many people who would never think of themselves as engaging in the anti-Semitic act, sort of believe many of these stereotypes are true. And the other thing I think why now is that you have a delivery system, social media. And therefore, what what one hateful person could have said once and it was just ignored or um wasn't given any consideration. Now was amplified a million times. Over. Yeah, social media is easier than a mimeograph machine. That's and more effective. Yeah, I mean it penetrates really quickly and reaches everybody. Uh, exactly. Like-minded views. Exactly. I get um, that coffee. Yeah. I wondered about that too. Yeah. We're speaking with uh, special envoy from the United States State Department uh, on anti-Semitism, Deborah Lipstadt. I want to get to the question of. Is this a separate account that you have, or does your text, does your work move to the direction of other racial, ethnic, religious hatred, or is that, uh, that, is that beyond your purview? No, 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 not at all. Um, one of the things that I say, and I've written and I've given talks about it, is that, um, the, in, on the interconnectedness of hatred. And that you can't fight what fight what hate, one you can't fight a hatred in silos. One of those is yours, right? And the interconnectedness of hatred. You can't fight 
um, a, a hatred or prejudice in a silo. You can't say I'm only against anti-Semitism, but I'm not against racism. And by the way, it's particularly the confluence between racism and anti-Semitism that is so striking today because you have something called the great replacement theory, um, which has, which is many people now associate with recent years in France, but actually it existed long before that. Uh, Protocols of the Elders of Zion, you know, as you uh, put out by the Tsar's police in the late 19th century, which, uh, you know, the contention that Jews are out to control the world and they're using, uh, brown people, black people, people who are looked down upon as their foil to destroy white Christian who could be manipulated in Jews. Exactly. Well, they are the puppet, Jews are the puppeteers and these people are the puppeteers. That's, that's the, that's the last part of the truth. That's right. Exactly. Um, what, what's the old joke? Uh, the man sits on the subway and his friend sees him reading a, an Arabic language newspaper. Mm-hmm. And he's older guy, so he speaks Hebrew, Yiddish, Arabic. He says, Hi, why are you reading an Arabic newspaper? He said, I used to read the Daily Forward, and it was filled with terrible things. Now I read in this paper... We control everything. Well, I think the Arabic, much of the Arabic press has changed, but actually that joke, um, has its roots in, in the Third Reich. I know it's old. It's an old joke. It has its roots in the Third Reich of two Jews sitting on a bench, one of the few benches allowed for Jews to sit on in adjacent to a park. And one is reading the, the Jewish newspaper, the German Jewish newspaper, and one is reading the Nazi paper. And the man reading the German Jewish newspaper turns to his compatriot and says, why are you reading that? He said, in your paper, I hear we're suffering. I hear we're, you know, uh, can't find any place to go, we're being restricted. In this paper, I hear how powerful we are, how we control the world. I like this much better. Your job is to go to various places to talk to people, to to shed some light on, and some sunlight, basically, uh, on these kinds of questions. What kinds of practical methods, what kinds of things can you do or deliver or make happen? Mm-hmm. I, I realize it's mostly right. talk, but right. Well, that, that's what diplomacy is by and large. Before I answer that, I want to go back to the, your question previously because I didn't really get to Please. answer that fully. So I, I believe you cannot fight hatred in silos. You cannot fight one separate from the other. And I have been um, incredibly successful because it's been incredibly easy to find compatriots at the State Department. The woman who is the young woman who is the special representative of the secretary, secretary of state on racial justice. A gentleman, Rashad Hussein, who is our ambassador at large on religious freedom. Um, people who work in other areas of prejudice and concern. And to say to them, come, let's work together. Let's engage in the multiplier effect. And I have found nothing but enthusiasm and positive uh, response on that. So this is not something separate and apart that exists on one floor in the State Department and a, a corner office, uh, me working by myself. But it's, in fact, one of the things that has happened that I didn't fully anticipate happening, but I'm delighted to see happen, is the way in which our concerns, my team's concerns, uh, when we spot an anti-Semitic comment by a uh, the supreme leader of Iran or by, uh, another state official or, or, uh, so whoever it might, whomever it might be is when we turn to 
different offices in the State Department to engage in them and say, this is something that really concerns us, that we get uh, people reaching out and saying it concerns us too. It concerns uh, so that the spokesperson for the secretary for this department um, makes this a an issue um, of of general concern, uh, makes this an issue of general concern for the broader uh, scope of American foreign policy. If this if this were just a single issue for me operating with a great team. Um, but by myself, it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter a damn. It wouldn't make a difference. Is there still a human rights report in the State Department? Sure. You feed into it then, I assume. Uh, we, we feed into it. Um, we are, uh, nominally part of that or work with that uh, bureau that we, I report directly to the secretary. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this is part of that human rights, religious freedom. Um, there is great concern and growing concern in the State Department, particularly with the rise of anti-Semitism. I remember when President Carter's team started that, uh, and it's obviously, uh, for researchers, it has become increasingly useful That's around right. the world and for scholars, partly because it doesn't pull its punches. No, it's very honest. It has a reputation for uh, being uh, calling it as it sees it. Last question, if I might. Um, we're speaking with Special Envoy Deborah Lipstadt on anti-Semitism. And she's visiting South Africa and then on to Morocco, if I'm not mistaken, or the other way around. Correct. No, Correct. first way around. What has been your specific task here? And what are the kinds of people, who are the kinds of people you've met? And how has your message been responded to? Well, I've just here three days. So to make... You're an expert. Yeah, right. Exactly. I, you know, Americans, the one day in a country, they know it. Two days in a the country, they, they, they can talk about it at three days. They're expert and they can go on someplace else. Um, I've met with various NGOs, academics who work on this field, work on the field of uh, anti-Semitism, xenophobia, uh, racism online. Uh, I've met with um, the uh, coordinators, directors of uh, the Holocaust Museum and Genocide Center in Cape Town and here in Johannesburg, where we were speaking, and learning about their educational programs and how they teach this to uh, the younger population. I've met with some government officials. I met today with um, uh, people from the Ministry of Justice um, and other government officials and talked about the fact that while there is really relatively, there are relatively few acts of uh, overt anti-Semitism in South Africa, that uh, it's just important to recognize the degree to which uh, hatred bleeds from one country into another, particularly with social media, and to recognize, particularly on issues that they brought this up of Israel, how, and again, stressing to them that criticism of Israel is not anti-Semitic. You see, we come back to that all the time. Yeah, well, I think that that was part of the issue. I don't know. I don't think it's the only thing we come back to. I think there's a lot of concerns. Uh, we don't have a guard in front of my synagogue in Atlanta uh, because of anything related to Israel. It's because of raw anti-Semitism. But uh, that one has to be careful with one, one's words and how one depicts things. And to be careful that one doesn't mesh uh, because you are a Jew, hence you are a supporter of a policy with which we disagree, hence anti-Semitism. And hence you're a cheerleader of Benjamin Netanyahu and his far-right religious fanatics. Right. 
that gets awkward quickly, I think. That's a, that's a very difficult thing, and uh, we're watching. Uh, I know my colleagues in the State Department are watching that evolution very carefully. I know you have limited time, and you have other tasks and things right. and places to go and people to meet, and perhaps even a chance to get some sleep. That, that later. <laughs> it's been a pleasure to talk with thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. We've been speaking with Special Envoy on Anti-Semitism, Deborah Lustat, author, crusader, and now government official. Thank you very much.